Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 147 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Uh, it's the holidays. Uh, we're post-Christmas, before New Year's, and joining me to talk about all things Atlanta Braves is the great Scott Coleman. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Happy uh, happy holidays to you, and glad to be doing one of these. For sure, and uh, as I said, I think you know, a week and a half plus ago, when I recorded last with Eric that we were not going to have a podcast um, on the on the Sunday before Christmas just because it was something crazy happened, which nothing is, nothing's happened, obviously. But I wanted to at least get one more show in the can before the calendar flipped to 2019. And uh, I, I, I prompted Scott, and we're here to talk about mostly mailbag questions because, as I referenced a second ago, absolutely nothing has happened between the last time we talked and now. And uh, for reference, it's Thursday night. It is December the 27th. Uh, so when you're hearing this, it'll probably be December 28th or later. But uh, Scott, before we get started, um, I'm not bothered by this. I know I talked about it last week with Eric too, but are you bothered at all by the quiet? Because I think it's just kind of what happens in December with the, with most baseball things. Yeah, generally you get a little bit of action before before Christmas, but you know, front offices close down more or less but this entire week from Christmas to New Year's. Uh, you know, everyone goes home. I mean, you forget that they're, they're real people there and not just these robots that, that run the baseball team. So, um, no, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate from a fan perspective that the Braves have made basically all of their moves this off season within a, within honestly a 30 minute window. I mean, I think it was about 30 minutes after McCann <laughs> signed, uh, or reported that McCann was signing that Donaldson was reported. Uh, you know, from a fan perspective, you wish it would have broke two weeks later to help kind of spread everything out. But obviously things are going to happen as they do. So um, but no, not worried. I mean, we're, we're about at the midway point of of, uh, of the offseason. If you would have told me in October that, you know, by the by Christmas break, uh, the Braves would have signed McCann and, and then signed Donaldson. Obviously, I would have said that's a good start. And there's obviously some holes left to address besides that. So not worried. Um, and I do think uh, in January we'll start to see some action as as some of the big names of free agents sign and, and other things get moving. To be sure, we'll talk about some stuff um, that we got in question form. So thanks, thanks everyone for the questions this week for this makeshift episode holiday mailbag. And that's sort of a traditional thing that podcasts do is kind of just go through a bunch of questions, and we're gonna do the same thing. But there was there is one. I'm not even sure. It's it's definitely not news, actually. Uh, it's more of a tidbit. Uh, and honestly, I feel bad for our fearless leader, Chris Willis, who's been trying to run a website over the last 10-plus days when there's just absolutely nothing happening. But Mark Bowman had his mailbag post to end the year, and Bowman is a friend of the program, so we'll talk about this a little bit. Um, the one thing that sort, sort of caught my eye from what he wrote was, and I'm quoting him here, he says, My guess is Julio Tehran will still be with the Braves on opening day. 
end quote. Now, that isn't like a bull you over nugget, but it is something to consider because Bowman's usually uh, pretty plugged in. And the fact that he's thinking at least that he would sort of bet on Tehran being there versus not being there perked me up a little bit. So what was your response to that? And um, obviously there's still a chance that he gets dealt, but I've kind of gone into the whole, whole offseason thinking he was going to be gone almost certainly. And it appears that may not be, that may not be the case now. Yeah, I, I guess if you, I think ideally, and, and this isn't you know groundbreaking here. I think ideally you're able to trade him and get rid of at least some of the the was it 11 million, 12 million that he's owed next year. Um, but as we saw last year, he is a serviceable enough starting pitcher. If if he's the Braves' is number five to at least begin the year, um, Bowman talked about using him early, so you aren't counting on maybe a Mike Soroka or a Max Fried or Tukey to to throw 180, 200 innings next year. Um, he's obviously somebody who would have a short leash and, and we saw last year, uh, all of his starts were, were kind of an adventure, but, um, he is who he is at this point. He, he can at least throw you a couple innings without, uh, without completely falling apart, or at least that's who he was in 2018. So if they aren't able to just get rid of him this winter, I don't think he's, he's at a position where you just kind of cut him or, or release him outright. I think he has too much value to do that. Uh, but ideally they are able over the next two months, maybe even a, a spring training deal. If you still have them, if a, if a team loses two starters and all of a sudden needs an innings eater, uh, that could always be an option too. Um, I'm with you. I, I thought he was somebody who would for sure be moved this winter. And there's, there's obviously still time to make that happen. But as of right now, if, if he is the Braves fifth starter, I, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. I agree. And, Listen, I mean, for all the stuff that we were pretty hard on him last year, with good reason, he was pretty bad. And, you know, he had a, he had a 0.7 Fangraphs war in 175 innings. That's that's bad. But it's not completely unusable. Like, he finished the season with a with a sub-4 ERA, albeit sort of by a miracle, with some luck and a low bad bet, but all that fun stuff. But, you know, there are a lot of teams that would like to have Julio Tehran, and the Braves are probably one of them in terms of just, as you mentioned, they're not going to cut him. Like, any notion of that is not going to happen, like – if they're if they're on the hook for him, they're paying him. He'll be in rotation um, that first week of the year. And as you said, like there's nothing terribly wrong with that. It's not crazy to have him throw innings on this baseball team. Like he can help you. The short leash thing is interesting in that he's not the kind of pitcher for me that's like easily managed on a short leash because most of his value, honestly, is the fact that he can just go out there every four days or every five days. I mean, and throw innings. Like he's been very durable. In his career, you know, he's made six straight seasons of 30-plus starts. That's actually really impressive. But if you have him on a short leash, like, if he gets batted around the first two starts of the season, do you just pull the plug? Like, it's kind of tough to evaluate him because he's the kind of guy that's going to have two bad starts in a row and then have two good starts in a row. Like, he's that kind of inconsistent pitcher right now. So, it's tough for me. I'd be looking to, to move him, but as you sort of mentioned there, and as Bowman sort of uh, alludes, there is some value to having the guy who's going to go out, and th- go out and throw innings. And if the Braves don't make that big move for a big time starter, and they're and they're relying on all the young guys, you know, there are a couple of young guys who were in rotation last year that will be in there all, all season long this year. Um, but if they're not, if if you're if look, looking beyond those guys, Tehran may not be a bad bridge option if you don't want to just throw Tukey in there in April or throw whoever. You know, Soroka had the injury last year, etc. At some point. I can't imagine all the young guys that even might make the rotation are going to throw that many innings. So if you want to have a bridge guy, Tehran's sort of that in-house option for that. Like I've, I've long thought the Braves could sign someone in February, March that with, with an eye towards just that insurance policy, but maybe they just have a very expensive one in Julio Tehran and that wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And and if he would happen to become a long guy in the bullpen, if they can't, you know, if he, if they have better options, if if one of the young guys takes a step forward, and just clearly they're a better team when whoever that may be is starting instead of Julio, I can see where he might have some value as a long man. Uh, the Braves last year too, almost famously at this point, really did anything they could to get an extra day of rest for all their starters. Uh, especially when someone like Sean Newcomb was so much better with a day or two of extra rest. So maybe they, they utilize his skill set a little bit more uh, and give him starts, maybe not even regularly, but uh, every other week, something like that, and then have him in the bullpen the other times. So uh, it's it's never a bad thing to have some options in your rotation. It's not like they're you know they're searching far and wide to sign two, two veteran starters over the next month just to, to eat innings this year. Uh, to have the young guys and to have Julio is, isn't the worst scenario in the world. Um, but ultimately, I think the Braves would prefer to trade him this, uh, you know, in January or February. But if that doesn't happen, um, it's it's certainly not a, a huge hindrance to the team. For sure. And if you're, if you're looking for optimism, it's kind of crazy to, th- to consider this. But Julio's still only 27 years old. He'll be 28 in January. It feels like he's 35, but he's not. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. Like may- maybe he just bounces back a little bit. I wouldn't bank on that, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like he's got a lot of innings on his arm, but he's not the like really old guy that just can't possibly bounce back. And uh, sort of, I guess we'll leave it there with Julio. Um, I, I want to get to the questions now. Um, again, thanks to everybody for sending questions in on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, one that we got a few times that I, I'm going to sort of combine here to start with is that people want us to rank the areas of need that the Braves still have. Obviously, the big ones are corner outfield, starting pitching potentially, and the bullpen, and sort of rank those in, in, in terms of the, uh, the actual importance to upgrade because, as we know, this is not going to be the roster the Braves have. At some point, they're going to do something, whether it be at a minimum, they're going to have to sign another outfielder. That's the, that's the one, one thing that we know they're going to absolutely have to do because they just don't have a third outfielder right now. Like I, I guess Adam Duvall will be the starting th- this starting outfielder right now that's not going to happen so uh aside from that i mean how do you want how, how would you rank these i think that's the most glaring but is it the most important how would you sort of prioritize these three i think for sure it's corner outfield as you said i mean you can't go into the year with adam duvall as your starting outfielder um you have to find someone so it's it's for sure outfield um i, I think you can make an argument that the rotation the starting pitcher might actually be an, a bigger need but at the same time, I think if you're looking, there are there are corner outfielders out there who I think legitimately improve the Braves. Whereas realistically, you look around Major League Baseball right now, there might be a, maybe even not even a half dozen pitchers who are one realistically acquirable via trade, um, and two who are significantly better than what the Braves currently have. Um, now th- that is, you know, Sonny Gray, Marcus Stroman, if the Giants decide they're going to trade Bumgarner, the Indians still haven't made a move, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm just not entirely sure that there's a, a can't miss starting pitcher out there who significantly moves the needles for the Braves. Um, so I guess I would, I would probably rank in the areas of need outfielder, then starting rotation, then bullpen. Uh, once, once Edwin Diaz got traded to the Mets, uh, I just don't see an obvious, option for the bullpen if, if they aren't going to pay the free agents, which I don't think they should. Um, yeah, so Kimbrell, say, Kimbrell's not coming, folks. I promise you yeah. he's not coming. Yeah, even if, I mean, if he's looking for six years and $120 million or whatever. Well, he, in that uh, in that Bowman mailbag, he did reference, he got a question about Kimbrell, which is predictable. A lot of Braves fans want Kimbrell, which I understand. He's obviously former Brave, awesome, etc. 
but um, the one thing that he sort of illuminated was that if the if the uh, asking price fell all the way down and the uh, and the and the years fell all the way down to like the three year range, maybe the Braves get involved. That was sort of, sort of the cutoff point that he sort of put out there in, in the mailbag. I kind of agree with that. Like if you can get him, maybe maybe three. I mean, maximum four. I wouldn't give anybody four years in the bullpen, but three years, maybe four. If you get a good, if you get a good, a good deal on Kimbrel, that still seems unlikely to me. But maybe there's a scenario where he just doesn't get the money anywhere. He just can't find it and wants to come home and be comfortable. I, I get that. Um, if that happens, then sure. But if it's anything remotely near the asking price that he, both he and Ottavino both have huge asking prices, I'm not interested in paying those guys that kind of money. Yeah. What's the most you would give Kimbrell? That's an interesting. So what's years and dollars? What's the Me? most you would give him? Ooh. Yeah. Uh, three forty-five. Yeah. Like I, I, I could maybe even me, do. Yeah, I mean maybe like three. Three fifty, like something like that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. Honestly, I wouldn't. I would not come on this podcast and throw a fit if they gave him four years. If it was reasonable, like if it was like four years, a hundred, I would be that. That would be too much. But if it was a four-year deal and you got a reasonable average annual value, I wouldn't love that. But I wouldn't throw a fit. Like what about four, four and eighty million? What would you say? I would not. I would be critical of that, but I wouldn't kill it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I wouldn't love that, but it wouldn't be like this like preposterous idea. If they give him six years and a hundred and whatever he whatever he asked for, six years and one twenty, whatever he yeah, was, no way. That's insane, yeah. and I would crush them. But four and eighty, I think that's a bad contract. But it's not like if you're because you're, if you're a contender, you probably in free agency are going to sign someone that the years you want that guy are years one, two, maybe three. That's kind of the that's kind of the issue with free agency in general is that you're almost baking in some bad years at the end. And I think year four of that's pretty risky. Like closers are just kind of volatile in general. And you know, Kimbrell is one of the best closers of all time right now to this point in his career. Like that's not even hyperbole. He's been that good. But you're paying for what he's already done rather than what he's going to do in the future, probably. Um, yeah. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. So three. You know, four eighty would not be great. I mean, three. If it was three sixty, like I know I said three forty five, three fifty, three sixty, I would not really be upset by that. Like I feel like it's probably too much, but just you know, same average annual value, but three years instead of four. The risk mitigation there is probably worth it. To where again, I think I probably I would be I would come on here and just say, okay, that's fine. I wouldn't praise it. I wouldn't kill it. You get you get into four years, anything more than like four sixty, I would be pretty critical of. I think. Yeah, he's somebody mentioned this the other day, and I'm not sure he would do it, but because he had, I mean, last year, even though he was as amazing as Kimber was last year. It was probably the worst season of his big league career. Um, somebody kind of proposed. I mean, he was that, like bad in the playoffs, like bad. Yeah, he, he was. And in the second half, he had an ERA above four. Uh, his walks were way up, though. You know, part of that might be pitching in, in the American League East. But no, I mean, he, he just was not. He wasn't great. Um, someone mentioned almost like what Josh Donaldson did and do a one year uh, kind of bounce back contract. If that's something, it, you know, if it gets to February and Craig still hasn't signed, and they say, well, let's go for a exactly what Donaldson did do it, you know, a one year, $20 million deal and, and see if he can return to his elite form of basically every season before last year. That's, that would obviously open some things up as well. Um, You do do that instantly. I think, I mean, anything, anything short of like one twenty seven, I would be okay with that. Like (laughs) one year is, it opens a lot of doors. And we, we, we praise the the Donaldson deal in that similar way because just the risk is just not there. Kibber will be the same way. Like, the money could be used in other ways, I suppose. But if you get a guy who is fully capable of being the best closer in the league on a one-year deal, 
I'm okay with that. And I mean, by the way, like just looking at his numbers a little bit, 2016, there were whispers about Kimbrell, like, you know, falling off. He was kind of average to be, I mean, he's pretty good still, but then he came back in 2017 and was absolutely incredible again. Was like a three and a half one player. And then, you know, 20, 2018, he regressed again. And by the way, regress for Kimbrell was still like a 270 RA. Like he was still really good, just not incredible like he used to be. And my thing is he's going to be 31 um, pretty soon, 31 in May. That's not like super old, but when you're a guy who has been in the majors for almost a decade, there's some yeah. mileage there. And uh, yeah, just my guard would be up. But yeah, the one-year pillow contract is pretty interesting. And I think if he if he wanted to do that, and I have no idea if he would, the Braves would probably be about as good of a destination as he could possibly ask for, knowing that he's been here, they need him, they're trying to win. There'd yeah. be a you know it'd be a lot of opportunities for him if he wanted to do that. I can't imagine a better place for him to do it. Yeah, for sure. And who knows? I mean, we'll see. He maybe maybe we you know we talk now. Maybe next week he's going to get a five year, hundred million dollar deal. Yeah, from he somebody. might. Um, but uh, you know, February rolls around and and he's still just not getting any phone calls, and everyone's looking at a three or four year deal, and he's still wanting a five or six. Maybe he does, uh, you know. Maybe he does want to kind of do what Donaldson did and bet on himself and bet on turning returning to form. Um, we'll see. So it's an interesting dis- debate nonetheless. But um, I guess to get back to our original question, I I think if unless Kimbrell's price comes way down, which I'm I'm still betting it won't. Um, ultimately, I'd prefer to use whatever money is left on on the outfield and in starting rotation, and then just try to piece together the bullpen. The bullpen really was was pretty solid last year. Before, I mean, everyone remembers how bad it was in August and September, uh, and and then the playoffs. But I think it was just more a factor of guys like Dan Winkler, uh, Jesse Biddle. They were just out of gas at the end of the year, and that's because they it was their first full years. And, and whenever you're pitching every other night uh, in in the major leagues in your first full year, you're going to wear down. Um, I think ideally the the Braves would add at least one or two veteran arms, uh, maybe after the top guy sign, grab somebody off the scrap heap. But I, I think you can, uh, you know, if, if you go into the year hoping that this is healthy, Minter, uh, Winkler, maybe Sabatka's are a real thing, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe those are, are good enough and you can always add to the bullpen at, at midseason. Um, but for sure outfield. I mean, it's, it, there's really no debate. You have to find an outfielder. The lineup right now is really top heavy. You need that that fourth place lineup or fourth place uh hitter in the lineup to, to solidify and protect freddie especially if they're going to go with Cunha and dodson one two um so yeah that, that's kind of where i stand on it yeah i think it's pretty obvious that it's because of the just the gaping need in corner outfield that that is the one uh so i think we're aligned on that pretty much up and down the board uh, one of the questions that we got actually i want to i guess we'll transition to now about the outfield specifically came from jerry and he asks are any of the free agent outfielders aside from bryce harper actually appealing to you for the braves or is it actually just a trade or nothing scenario for atlanta so i want to name a couple of the options that are out there just so we sort of enlighten uh sort of cast a light on who actually is available aj pollock is the headliner that's still out there um adam jones marwin gonzalez and old friend markakis are the best four options in the outfield available in terms of free agency. Everybody else is a trade candidate that we that we, we that we have and we'll discuss in the future. So if those are the best available options, anybody actually appeal to you uh, as the, in the spirit of the question as they're asking it? Um, I mean, AJ Pollock is interesting because he's a legitimately good baseball player when he's healthy, but of course he's never healthy, right? I mean, he had that crazy what was it, 2015, where he was one of the best players in baseball, but since then. Uh, that was his only year where he stayed healthy. He's never played more than 150 games except for that one year. 
Um, if, they played more than 135 games since that right. year, honestly. I mean, so, it's it's yeah. chronic, and you know, it's maybe getting out of spacious uh, Chase Field will will help him. Um, but I think to give that guy with with to, you're paying for really his one incredible season uh, in 2015, which was obviously three or four years ago now. So I, I think unless Pollock is again, we, we just talked about with Kimbrell, unless his ass comes way down, I don't think Pollock is really in the running. Um, you know, Adam Jones was talked about a little bit over the last week. He really hasn't been the Adam Jones that people think of in two or three years. Um, I, I guess if, I guess if the Braves are in the middle of February and they still don't have an outfielder, I mean, heck, I'd probably even prefer Nick Markakis over Adam Jones, just given a few things. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that, that's actually one that we got. I can't remember who asked it because my, my apologies, but we actually got somebody asking that, that exact question. Like, would you rather have uh, Jones or Markakis? I think Markakis is a lot safer. Like, yeah. if you want upside, it's probably Jones. It just has him, him just finding something. But I think safety-wise, you know what you're going to get from Markakis. And it's yeah. not it's not sexy at all. And he's been talking, he's been discussed on this podcast quite a bit. But I think if it, if it comes down to it, and you had to sign one of these guys, um, you know Pollock is easily in a different stratosphere from the other three, but his his risk is sort of there. Safety wise, Markakis is the fallback, which is the reason why he's discussed. As, I mean, obviously, plus the local connection, the fact that he was already here, but he's the one where you could just pencil him in, know exactly what he's going to do. Because even last year, he had the great six weeks, and then was just kind of the guy he always always was before that. So. Yeah, I mean, long long story short, it's Pollock, and it's a bunch of guys who are not sexy and free agency. So yeah. appealing Carlos is an interesting Gonzalez. word. That was yeah. I mean, yeah. Cargo's. Ugh. I mean, Denard spans thirty five. Like I always liked him, but he's old now. Yeah. There's guys that are on that list that you would recognize, but you know, I continue to think honestly that if if anybody is a free agent option, it's Marquez. And I don't love saying that out loud. But I do think that's what is going to happen. If if you told me that the Braves are going to sign a free agent starting outfielder, I would bet a lot of money that it's Marquez. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, if they're going to address it, it needs to be a trade. And we could probably talk for an hour about all the trade options. And and it's everyone from there are a know, couple yeah. that I want to ask about. So they're coming. Yeah, so. and maybe maybe that's our segue in. I mean, there, there's probably a dozen outfielders who you know, for as much activity as there's been, there really hasn't been a ton of outfield movement. Uh, some pretty obvious guys who would appear to be on teams that are looking at a rebuild that haven't really been moved yet. So I, I think ultimately the Braves are going to make a move for an outfielder via trade. Um, yeah, so I guess let's jump into that. Yeah, one one last thing. I, I, I want to say this out loud because I think I've said it, but I'm not sure I've said it recently. There is a I don't I can't I mean this is me talking now. I'm, people are going to be surprised by this. There is a path for me to be okay with re-signing Nick Marcakis. Are you ready for this, Scott? I that never, path, I never thought I would hear the day. That path is trading for Real Muto. That that's the only way that I would be like on board with Marquecas is if the Braves have that massive upgraded catcher, and they look around and say, "All right, we we use the capital for catcher. Let's go ahead and bring back Marquecas as like the sixth best hitter in the lineup." Yeah, and one we, year, we, ten million. Yeah, we know what he's going to give you. Yeah, maybe like one year, fifteen max, something like that. It's a short term contract. There's no risk. He's someone that they, they know. Obviously, Snicker loves him. I'm okay with that because, I mean, and my beef has long been with the system, not the player. Like, Marquecas has value. He always has. The problem is people, him hitting fourth all season long, him playing 162, all that fun stuff. If you have Real Muto and your top four is legitimately elite, 
it makes it a lot easier to have Marcakis. A because that way he's not hitting he's not hitting in a power spot in your lineup probably, and B, it's not that's not that big of a deal because you know you have some weaknesses still. You know, shortstop, obviously Dansby's not great at, at the plate right now, but if you if you ta- if you if you turn catcher into a legitimate positive. Yeah. It is much much easier to roll into a season with Swanson, Inciarte, and Marquez, because those because those guys are that are now your worst three hitters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like having yeah. those three be your worst three, you're okay. If if those three are not your worst three hitters, and you're and, and you're trotting out all respect to, to Flowers and McCann, you know that going from those guys to Real Muto makes it a lot more palatable to sign. Marcakis or Adam Jones, somebody like that. It doesn't have to be Marcakis, but that's just the easy example there. That's the only way that I would be all right with that if I'm a Braves fan is if they had that massive upgrade elsewhere. And the only place to do that really is a catcher. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a good point. I mean, you're right. If if they are able to upgrade, I mean, the obvious area there is is in the outfield. Uh, if they are able to, or rather, a catcher. If they're able to upgrade a catcher, then if if you know Marcakis in his 95 to 100 WRC plus as he's done the last few years is uh, is your sixth hitter? You can you can do a lot worse. Uh, so at least there's options. And I know again we talked about earlier. It it feels like the Braves haven't done much lately, and and that's basically correct. Uh, but there is still <laughs> no. two plus, almost even two and a half months left to to get something done. And it's just just uh, you know being patient and waiting and and having it all come together. For sure. And that was my one way to get Real Muto into the podcast because to keep the streak alive of like that's right eight weeks in a row. But you got to get. The- Craig Mish on the show. Well, from- because it, yeah, exactly because that just that rumor will never die. Um, it's not that I think it's going to happen, but it's it's reasonable enough to where I am starting to think about what would happen elsewhere if the Braves did pull that off. Because I can't imagine they're going to trade. I, maybe maybe I can. I would not predict that they would trade for Real Muto and then make another big splash in the outfield. Maybe they would do that, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like they're going to have to use just Real from Capital the prospect. Yeah, from the yeah. prospect capital, I get that. So it, it could happen. Maybe they do that still, but I, I think if you get the big splash at catcher, it makes it a lot less likely that you do that in the outfield. So just wanted to at least throw that out there as an option. Um, okay, a couple other guys that we were asked about that we've never discussed on the podcast, I don't think. Um, one um, came from Tom, and he and he says, I've oh, seen boy. chatter about Joey Galloway on my Twitter timeline. Joey Galloway. Joey, Joey Galloway. <laughs> Sorry, Joey Gallo. I'm in football mode. Uh, Joey Gallo. Uh and he and he says, I don't think it's actually a rumor or anything, but where would you guys stand on acquiring him and having him in the open corner outfield spot? So Joey mm-hmm. Gallo is a interesting and polarizing figure. Uh, a lot of fans I've seen talking about Joey Gallo really don't like that idea. And then people, they're more in the vein of you and I, like the stat, maybe not stat obsessed, but stat focused, at least people that like the stats and use them like him a lot more. So where do you stand on Gallo as a possibility um, knowing that he's sort of an interesting player and it, really on his own. Yeah, I mean, he's he is who he is. He's a guy who's going to hit 40 to 50 homers. He's a guy who's going to strike out 200 times a year, gets on base, draws a lot of walks. I mean, he's he's pretty much a modern-day Adam Dunn. Uh, people remember Adam Dunn. He's either going to strike out, he's going to walk, or he's going to homer. And I think more so than ever, that's, that's more and more uh, prevalent in today's game. Um, I, I'm a fan of Gallo. I like that he can realistically play the outfield. He can play third. He can play first. You talk about having some versatility with the roster. He's somebody who who you can play all over. And he might not be a Gold Glove outfielder or a Gold Glover at third or first, but he won't embarrass you out there and, and gives you some flexibility. No, that, um, that's an actually a really important thing because I think 
I've seen this a ton on Twitter. People think that he's a terrible defender, and he's not. He's not a bad yeah. defender. Like his no, numbers are fine. Cannon. Yeah, he has a cannon arm too. I mean, like just... people, I think people just assume with that guy's profile in an outfield spot that he's just a bad defender. But he's actually a really good athlete, and he has a huge arm, as you mentioned. So that is not a negative for Joey Gallo. It's not a huge yeah. positive, but it's not a negative. So that's, that's important to note in this conversation. Yeah. So I mean. Who knows what Texas is doing? I mean, they seem like a team that would, at least if I was running the Texas Rangers, I would be selling everybody I have because, and they and they did trade Profar last week. If I was running the Rangers, I would trade everybody I have because obviously you're not going to beat, you're not going to compete with the Astros the next two years. You're not going to compete with the A's the next two years. Uh, the Angels are kind of doing their thing. Who knows what the Mariners are doing? If if I'm Texas's front office, I'm basically trying to trade anybody who has value. So far, they haven't done that. Again, there's two more months to do it. Uh, but if if they were if the Braves got Gal, I'd be happy. There would be a, a portion of the fan base that would never uh, would never be open to him, and and then I guess he would hit a ball outside, of, you know, hit a ball into the battery and, and, <laughs> yeah. and down the down the right yeah, he, field yeah, line. He probably would, and people would. Uh, warm up to him a bit more. So he's one of, you know, we talked about maybe a dozen or so outfielders out there who make some sense for the Braves. He's one of, of that list and somebody who, who has an interesting skill set. And, and you, I'm sure that if the Braves of the internal discussions, the Braves have had, he's one of the many names they've discussed. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do think his profile is so extreme that people just can't understand or want to understand why there's value there. But he's young, number one. He just turned 25. Um, he's under he's under control until 2022. So 2023 free agency for the first time. So that's that brings real value as well. The last two years, his WRC pluses are 121 and 110. So he's a solidly above average hitter in the aggregate. Um, you throw in the solid defense, and that's a guy who has been worth you know 2.8 wins in back-to-back years on fan graphs and on um, baseball reference 3.2 in 2017 and 2.1 last year in 2018. So he's been a starting caliber player the last two seasons. You know, his OPS is, is high because of his slugging. He's, got, he's a guy who's, he has a career slugging of 500, and that's actually higher than that over the last two years. Uh, it's actually 516 since he's become like a full-timer the last two years. But the strikeouts are what they are, and people just can't see beyond it. But he, he, he does walk a decent amount. You know, he has a... Uh, Twelve percent walk rate is what I'm seeing. Yeah, twelve twelve point eight last year, fourteen percent the year before. That's really really good. Strikeout rate is obviously comically high, but I'm on board with Joey Gallo. Like if you can get that guy at a reasonable price, sign me up. I think obviously fans will not love it. Some fans will love it. Some fans will not love it at all and like be out of it immediately. But um, he's one of the more intriguing guys for me, honestly. That are actually like available but wouldn't cost the farm. That yeah. combination is kind of interesting, and I think it's probably the, the space where the Braves are playing right now. Like, Mitch Hanniger's been a popular name I know you loved. Bowman sort of shot that down and was like, uh, doesn't really seem like it's a possibility because the Mariners don't want to trade him. That makes sense. He's pretty awesome. But a step down from that, Gallo is in that range, and given his youth and his control, he makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and it's you just hit on Hanniger and kind of took the words out of my mouth. I mean, oh, other than Hanniger... <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, other than Hanniger, there is... There is a fairly significant hole in the game of basically every player who the Braves could realistically bring in for right or left field, whatever they want to do with with Acuna. I mean, you talk about Gallo and you have the strikeout concerns and and it's it's a different game now. But anytime you are talking about a guy who's going to strike out in 35 percent of his bats, I mean, it's a legitimate concern. Let's not completely blow that away. Uh, You look at David Peralta. Guy with pretty across the board, good baseball player, two years of control left, only 31 years old, 
but he has some pretty significant splits against left-handed versus right-handed pitching. He's, of course, a lefty hitter, doesn't hit lefty super well. And outside of Chase Field, uh, he's been a pretty subpar hitter uh, compared to hitting a Chase. Uh, Castellanos was a hot name. Uh, a player who, great bat, but legitimately might be the worst defensive player in baseball. I mean, that's he's like worse than Matt Kemp was. Uh, so you keep going down the line with all, you know, Jock Peterson uh, can't hit lefties. Uh, so you keep going down the line with all these guys, and you, you really kind of have to pick where you want your weakness to be. If, if you're cool with having this guy who doesn't hit lefties, then so be it. If you're, if you're cool with having a guy who's going to strike out like Gallo and strike out 35% of the time, then that's, that's your, pick your poison, so to speak. Um, so unless they are able to go back to Hanager, which it doesn't seem like Seattle is really looking to move him, uh, they might be treating him more like the Braves treated Freddie Freeman during their rebuild, um, then you, you have to pick and choose. You have to pick your battle and say, okay, this is what we want. We're going to live with X, but we're going to reap the benefits of Y and Z. So it'll, it'll be fun to see who they, who they eventually circle back to. Yep. There's uh, a lot of names and I think we'll leave it there in terms of guys who are available. We can speculate on guys, but you know, we're, we're all just guessing. And, uh, I think Gallo is an interesting name. Just keep in mind. Uh, one sort of left turn uh, comes from at Ctrim 49 and he asks, at what point should Ozzy Albies consider putting a stop to switch hitting and just bat right-handed? Um, yeah. This is pretty extreme. And when I read it, I was like, oh, okay, it seems kind of extreme. But here are the numbers. Just uh, just set the, scene, set the scene a little bit. In 256 plate appearances, 256 plate appearances as a right-handed batter, he has a 141 WRC+. He's been absolutely awesome. 333, 369, 542 slash line. That's awesome. As a lefty, in 670 plate appearances, so a lot more because obviously there are more right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers, he has an 89 WRC+, which is bad. Uh, 242, 297, 420 slash line. Big caveat here is that this is also this is all still a small sample. Uh, even 670 plate appearances is basically just one season. That's not enough for me to get worried about Ozzy necessarily. But just setting the scene, what was your first reaction to this? How crazy is it? And uh, given his age, I think it doesn't seem like it's happening can happen anytime soon. But you know, what do you what do you make of this? I think they'll give him at least another year to to try to figure out uh, right-handed pitching, or rather, left-handed pitching. No, right-handed pitching is a left-handed batter <laughs> yes, in the majors. They go. Um, I, it's easy to say when we aren't the ones standing in, but. Mark Bowman talked about this on on his uh, podcast well, about a week ago, and you have to realize that when when Ozzy's been switch hitting for as long as he has, you know he as good as he's been as a, as uh, as a right handed batter, he's only seen left handed pitchers from when he's batting from the right side. I mean, it's yep. it's hard enough to hit a baseball, let alone when you go from only seeing one thing when you're at the plate to another. Um, you know, in an eighty nine wrc plus. Uh, as a lefty is, isn't great, but if you can balance that out with, if you figure, uh, yeah, 20% of your bats are going to come against lefties, uh, then it helps balance out obviously a little bit more. Um, ultimately I know there was some talk that the Braves had maybe internally discussed it, uh, at the, uh, second half of last year though, that's been, uh, squashed at least by the front office publicly. Who knows what exactly went on, um, Ultimately, I think they, they let Ozzy keep doing his switch hitting thing, at least for 2019. If, if we're having this discussion again in a year, maybe they do uh, at least try and maybe spring training and, and see what he can do uh, as a righty only. Um, what do you think about it? I don't think he's been bad enough for them to do that anytime soon. Like He'll be 22 in, in January. That's extremely 
young. Yeah. And I mean, I know it's bad. Like 89 WRC plus is not good, but that's not like, I think you'd have to be really, 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 really bad for them to do this. That's just my opinion. I might be wrong about that. That's me on the outside taking a guess, but I think you'd have to get either a much bigger sample or he'd have to be just terrible this season as a left-handed batter, which might happen. I doubt it, but it might happen. But 89 WRC plus is not good, but you know, with his defense, if you just took that, he's still a starter. You know what I mean? Like last year, Ozzy was a full-time player and was worth almost four wins on fan graphs doing what he's doing now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't imagine them actually tinkering with it unless it just he just fell off the, the, the table completely from that side of the plate. But yeah. you don't see that, guys just stop switch hitting that have been doing it as long as they have with, with some success. It just doesn't yeah. happen very often. Yeah, and that's tough to do just in the middle of a season when you're in the grind of you know 162 games in 185 days or whatever it is that's tough just to flip on and it's easy for us to say oh yeah you just bat from the right side instead and it of- wouldn't happen in the middle of the season. It, it would have to be a full winter thing yeah there's just no way he'd ever stop in the middle of the season like i because of what you said when's the last time he faced a left-handed left-handed pitcher as a left-handed hitter like it just yeah. doesn't happen um, sorry, the other way around. Right-handed, right-handed pitcher, right-handed hitter. But you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, you get the gist. I, when's the last time he did that? It, it, I don't even know. I'm sure it was a long, long time ago. And it's, it's, it's not a minor thing to, to tweak in the major leagues against major league pitching when you've already been like an all-star caliber player for a year. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm-hmm. like this is Dansby when he just has never hit. Ozzy, you know, it wasn't all offense-driven. Obviously, he was great on defense on defense last year. But the guy was worth almost four wins in the big leagues over a full season in his first full season. Like yeah. that guy is, you, you don't you don't you don't really mess with that guy unless he just falls off the table. So, I wouldn't hold your breath. I, I get the idea though to be to be sure because when when the, when the splits are that big, it's going to be a discussion point. But a lot of guys who switch it their whole career have a strong side and a weak side. He might just be one of those guys. Yeah, I'm with you. It's worth trying out again and seeing and evaluating and maybe that Seitzer is able to get with Ozzy and. It seems like, at least publicly, what's been written about him is about Ozzy is the leg kick from the right side is or from the left side rather is a little funky. Um, maybe they can get the timing down on that a little bit. Maybe have Chipper Jones come to camp, who so notoriously had the uh, not an extreme, but you know had the toe tap. Maybe Ozzy works a little something like that into his game. Uh, but as you said, you're you're talking about a kid who's 21, 22 years old, coming off a four win season as basically a rookie. Um, he he's gonna figure it out. He's a talented guy. Even if he is far better on the right side than the left side, uh, over the course of a year, you're gonna get more than enough production out of him, especially at a position like second base. Yep, uh, that's probably a good place to leave that. Um, two more things. One one real quickly. Um, Andrew Jones has gotten some Hall of Fame discussion. He's probably gonna mm. fall off the ballot based on some of the ballot tracking stuff. I'm not a huge Hall of Fame guy. We don't we don't do a ton of that on this podcast for that reason. But um, as a talking point, because he's probably gonna fall off. Um, I will say there's some reasons for that, but what do you think, uh, what'd you, what'd you make of this? I, I'm not surprised. Like he didn't get a lot of attention last year in terms of just votes, pure voting. I think there are reasons for that, which I will share in a moment, but, um, any surprise, anything that's worth discussing on your end when it comes to Andrew in the hall of fame? I don't know if it's necessarily a surprise. Um, as you said, there were some signs that he just wasn't a guy who, who seemed likely to really gain a bunch of votes just based on how voters have voted the last couple of years. But it is a real shame. I mean, it's easy to forget for a decade. I mean, he was, uh, for my money, one of the five best outfielders in baseball from 97 to 07 uh, with the Braves in his prime. I mean, you look at him, he averaged about 5.5 war per season. 
I mean, all the gold gloves, the power. I think maybe maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of it is 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 how not good he was towards the back end of his career. He fell off a bit towards the end uh, before retiring. But again, I mean, I think for to be a Hall of Famer, you need to be great for a decade, and and he certainly was one of the best outfielders ever, uh, defensively, offensively, you name it. Um, so it really is a shame to see uh, to see Andrew more than likely fall off. I guess. About 40% of the votes or so have been counted from last I saw, um, which is which is a bummer. But um, I guess it's it's not a huge surprise, at least to me. I guess. No, it, it's not. And you know, there were there are three things, three reasons I think, um, and the first two are bigger actual reasons for the voting, in my opinion. But there are three reasons why you wouldn't put Andrew on, in my opinion. At least the people that have, have voted have said this. I think first of all, guys with guys with a defense first profile often get picked on. Um, Andrew's defense, we everyone agrees, was absolutely incredible for that decade you're talking about. But aside from Ozzie Smith, you don't really hear a lot of guys who are just pure defensive guys in the Hall of Fame. Um, generally, it's all about kind, kind numbers, etc. Um, I think Andrew is one of the best ten defenders of all time, regardless of position. He's that good. But I think voters, as a general rule, favor offense, which hurts him. Number two is something you mentioned as well, him falling off in a hurry. His last five seasons in the league, he was a part-time-ish player and was not good. Um, and just when guys fall off like that, they normally get punished. Like he, he did have a legitimate like decade peak, which is a little bit longer than some guys that you hear about, uh, that you hear about with some uh, longevity concerns. But the way that he ended, I'm sure, did not go well. And it's worth pointing out, and I've pointed this out before, but he got arrested for, for domestic violence in 2012. That was not a good situation. It, he should be dinged for that um, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, police report was not good. For everybody that's seen that, it was not a good situation for Andrew. Um, that's something that has to be said every time we talk about Andrew Jones from now on. In fact, I wish I had done more of that. I kind of famously was on the Andrew Jones Driven. It's like my one TV appearance I've ever done, and I probably should have not done that, in my opinion, now. I think um, I am someone who treats it the Hall of Fame as a, especially Baseball Hall of Fame because of how many bad people are in the Baseball Hall of Fame already. I kind of just make it a numbers thing and a performance thing. But if you care about the character stuff, it's definitely a black mark and it should be out there alongside Bobby Cox and others. Like there are people in the Braves organization that should be dinged considerably for that off-field stuff. And that is a big, big thing because well, the best of balls is nothing you want to fool around with. So, I, you know, I, I almost said the word sadly. It's probably not the word I would use. Um, I think... Unfortunately, that is not the reason why he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think that most people are voting on him or, or not voting on him because of that. I think this is, unlike steroid guys, I think Andrew's just being left off for baseball reasons. I think maybe you find a voter or two or five or ten that don't want to put him on because of the because of the, of the violence arrest. But I think it's mostly performance, and that's why he's being left off. And performance-wise, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think that's pretty clear, and I argued I, that, which is why I was on the Andrew Jones thing, I'm pretty sure. But I think performance-wise, he should be in if you want to leave him off because of, because of the uh, because of the arrest and the domestic violence. I'm okay with that, too, because it's, it's, it's pretty awful stuff if you read the police report. But that's sort of the big picture there. I don't want to do too much on that, but anything else you want to hit before we move on? No, it's a bummer. I mean, you, those are the guys you grew up watching, right? So it's a bummer to see him not in. But, again, barring a, a last-minute rally, it looks like he's going to fall off, which is, which is too bad, but – um, oh, and yeah. also Fred McGriff is uh, probably not going to get in either, it seems. Mm. It might be close. Fred McGriff, another former Brave, obviously wasn't quite as associated with the Braves as Andrew, but McGriff was a, a, a big-time Brave, so uh, he'll be something to worth worth tracking. He's actually he's, he's a lot closer than Andrew is in terms of the uh, voting and stuff like that, and McGriff has the counting number, like the big counting number that everybody looks at is the home runs. Uh, McGriff has 493 
And I'm pretty sure if he had seven more home runs, he'd be in the Hall of Fame, which is always funny. Yeah. To me. Like, <laughs> seven home yeah. runs should not keep you out of the Hall of Fame, but apparently that's no. prob- that, that might happen with Ray McGriff. No. Okay. Uh, last thing here, and this came from Lawrence Pemberton, the one that I actually grabbed. A lot of people ask this question. Which team, Scott, here in the, at the end of December is the biggest threat to the Braves repeating as NL East champions? It's, is it the Mets, the Phillies, or mm. the Nats? And obviously, it's too early for this. Uh, the Braves have a lot more stuff to do, and the other three teams might do some more stuff as well. But they've been – all three have been active in different ways, so – Who's your biggest threat? And I, I guess I'm going to put you to the fire and ask you for a standings prediction oh, here in geez. December, which is absolutely uh, insane. Um, <laughs> but I'm, going to, I'm, I'm making you do it anyway. Uh, biggest threat, right? I mean, to cop out and use the numbers, I mean, the computers like the Nationals the most right now. And yep. um, but if, but then again, I mean, the Nationals have been the on paper division champions for the last like seven years, and and they've only been the division champs four times in that stretch. So. Um, yeah, I, I would guess the Nationals are the biggest threat. I mean, their their rotation, by the way, just to, just so we lay it out here, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin is pretty uh, pretty preposterous, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. So and Anibal, I mean, they, they probably they probably Anibal. lose Harper. I mean, Harper's probably gone, but they replace him with Victor Robles, who's a big time prospect. They have Juan Soto, who's awesome. Trey Turner. They still have Anthony Rendon. Like they're going to be really good <laughs> again. Yeah. Added Jan Gomes. I mean, they, yep. so I think uh, you know the Nats last year were eighty two and eighty. Um, I, I think the biggest threat to the Nationals or to the Braves would be the Nats. Um, I, I think the Mets, I mean, I kind of got roasted last year because my, my bold preseason prediction was the Mets were going to overtake the Nationals. Oh, I remember that. The East. Um, I forgot that until I would, right now. <laughs> though in my defense, I would argue that when like literally half of their opening day roster hit the DL in the first three months, um, you know, injuries and, and whatnot are hard to predict. Uh, with the Mets, it's it's always going to come down to if their four starters stay healthy. I mean, if if Degrom, yep. Syndergaard, Mats, and Wheeler give them 700 innings next year, I think they're they're going to have as good a chance as anyone. Um, but that's obviously a lot easier said than done, and and they're just a team that has not been healthy over the last few years. Uh, the Phillies, we'll see. I mean, they, they went into the off season with all the hype and that they were going to spend. Uh, was it stupidly was, was the quote from the ownership. That was it. Yep. Um, you know, who knows? It, it and sounds... they did. Andrew McCutcheon for huge money is probably a good mm-hmm. example of that. Yeah. I mean, for a team that was supposedly going to win the off season, all they've really done so far is, is trade for Gene Segura and, and they sign don't... McCutcheon. I'm looking yeah. at their roster. They don't scare me. They really don't. Their defense is yeah. going to be so bad again. Um, I mean, if they got Harper, that's, that's something different. And he, they've been, they've been linked to Harper at various times. But aside from that, their pitching doesn't scare me. I mean, Aaron Nola is good, obviously, but you know Jake Arrieta is number two. Nick Pavetta is fine. Vince Velasquez yeah. is fine. They no. don't have anybody. Their bullpen is kind of a weird. Yeah, and if Nola mess. regresses even a little bit, they're in trouble. I mean, yeah, if, I, mean, if he... I think for me, I mean, I'm, I'm stepping on you a little bit, but I think I'd have them fourth, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I would. Like oh, fourth. easily. I think it's pretty easy at this point. I think yeah. they're they'd be fourth for me. There's a long way to go, which is what we should couch everything we're talking about with here because it's December 27th. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I'd have Philly fourth. <sighs> would I pick the Braves? I'm not sure I would. Uh, I think I would pick the Nationals because we're talking about the Braves with Adam Duvall as the core outfielder. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Uh, cool. As currently constructed, the Nats are the best team, I think. I think, mm-hmm. honestly, I think I'd go Nats. I think I'd go Nats and Mets Braves if we're assuming the Braves are the current roster, which is not going to happen again. Roster, yeah, a current roster, the current sure. roster, Braves third, I think. But if we assume but, yeah. 
and I think we have to assume they do something in the outfield. And I, for me, I'm assuming they do something on the pitching staff somewhere, whether it be bullpen or starter. They're going to do something else, in my opinion. That's not that's not as much of a given as the outfield is, but they are not going into the season with Adam Duvall as an everyday starter in the outfield. That's not going no. to happen. No. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's what I'll say. I, I will go Nats, Mets, Braves at this moment, but I'm definitely prepared. Like, even if you gave me Marcakis as the Braves starting right fielder, they go up to second, I think, behind the Nats, maybe maybe even first. Like it gets yeah. in, it, it gets closer. That, that's the big, that's sort of a big jump. That's probably a two, it's probably a two, three, one jump. Sure. Um, oh, of course. I mean, if, if the Braves over the next two months, you know, so far the Nationals, they might have a, a minor move left in them, but they seem like they're fairly close they're to being done. done. Yeah. The Mets seem fairly close to being done, and we'll see. Uh, Joel Sherman of the New York Post actually reported, I think, tonight that. Uh, the word on the street, if you will, is that neither Harper nor Machado really loved the idea of playing in Philadelphia. Um, I mean, ultimately, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. No. To be honest with and you. and I, I think, you know, there's some obvious factors there. I think Machado is going to go to New York and I think Harper, I think Harper's going to go to the Dodgers, especially after Me they quit money. I think he wants to be out West. Uh, yeah. he's from Vegas. Um, you know, so, but you know, going back to the question, I mean, at rosters today, I, I would, probably say nationals mets braves phillies but that's today if, if the braves over the next two months uh, trade for real muto um trade for i don't know sunny gray and sign markakis to a one-year deal then I, I would probably put the braves first right maybe. there with the nationals so yeah i mean it, it yeah. would be close imagine the computers would too it would be um, close and, and i think um it's important to note like the nats the Nats rotation is better than anything that anybody else has in the in the division. Like the Nats mm. rotation is the best unit, I think. That's just mm. me talking. But when you have the, yeah. when you have those like three the guys, most dominant compared to the other four or the when other they have three, those three guys. I mean, I guess if I guess if you assume Animal Sanchez just falls off the map, maybe not. But if he's okay, then those those top three guys are pretty scary. Um, yeah. And their lineup is still good. I mean, it's not as good as it would be with Bryce Harper in the middle of it, but it's still pretty good. And by the way, the Mets, I'm, I'm the biggest, you know, laugh at the Mets guy in the world. The Mets have a, a pretty impressive on paper roster at this. They've moment. had a great off season. I mean, I know again, like you said, people make fun of the Mets. They have had as good of an off season as they realistically could have. I mean, they, I mean, they, they kept Familia and they have Edwin Diaz. That's a pretty slam the door eight, nine and yeah. combo. They get Wilson Ramos, who is not incredible, but is a solid starting catcher. Um, yep. Cano is still very good. He's overpaid, but he's still very good. Their outfit is pretty interesting. Brandon Nimmo is really good. It, it's about the pitching. If you believe Conforto, in the pitching, yeah, yeah. If you believe in the pitching, then you're going to believe in the Mets. If you don't, then you don't. Which I, I totally get it. And they're the most volatile. I think if the if the Mets won 100 games, I wouldn't be stunned. If they won 74 games, I wouldn't be stunned. Like that's yeah. that's the craziest part about the Mets is if they, if they just fall apart in the rotation, they could be just actively bad. But if yeah. it's Degrom, Syndergaard in all capital letters all season long. Those guys are awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. And, and you talk about the Nationals having the clear advantage with the rotation, and that's that's certainly true. But as we said, if, if the Mets get six or 700 innings out of their big four, uh, that that's a scary team. I mean, that you're getting real, especially from Wheeler. If Wheeler shows the second half of last year, I mean, Wheeler was as good as really any pitcher in the National League in the second half of last season. Uh, we all know what DeGrom, Cy Young winner can do, Syndergaard if he's healthy. But we, we, there's a reason we keep saying if healthy after all these. If if all these guys were locked for 180 innings, we probably wouldn't even be having the discussion. Uh, yeah, you know, even but, getting – yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's going to be fun. It's, it's going to be a tough division for sure. 
I will say this. There is a chance. This is the last thing I'm going to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you for the last word. There is a chance that the Braves have the two best position players in the National League East. Just hmm. saying. Freddie and Ronald. Yeah. Freddie and Ronald. There's a good, there's a, well, I would say there's a pretty good three. Chance. I mean, if, if, shit, if Donald, oh yeah, Donald, if Donaldson goes great, I mean, I think there's obviously some good players. Obviously, Juan Soto's really good. Anthony Rendon's really good. Um, yeah. But the Mets don't really have that number one bat right now. Like they have, you know, Cano's really good, but he's not that guy anymore. No, Conforto's good, but not elite. Same yeah. thing. And Phillies don't have it, that guy either at the moment. So, I mean, pitching wise, the Braves are definitely not ahead of either the Mets or the Nationals pitching wise. But you know, in terms of in terms of the lineup, it really helps to have two legitimately. You know, Acuna is not a lock to be legit uh, to be elite until he does it two years in a row. But Freddie is an elite player. I, I think Acuna is going to be an elite player. I think we're all pretty confident in that. Um, yeah. And having those two guys on the same on, in the same lineup, plus a recent MVP in Donaldson, the Braves there there is a chance, as you sort of allude to, there's a chance the Braves, the Braves have, have the three best position players in the National League East. I would not yeah. predict that, but that is actually in play like possible no those three maybe anthony rendon and then um yeah rendon is the reason why i'm not just rendon and soto are the reasons i'm not just saying that out loud as like a prediction yeah because rendon i think if you just say who's better in 2019 rendon or donaldson i'm gonna say rendon but donaldson could be better than rendon like it's Mm -hmm. it's, that's that's in play um so yeah the only uh, i think without question the braves have two of the best three position players in the National League East with with with, with Ronnie, Freddie, um, and, and Rendon. As, as those are the three guys for me. So just something mm-hmm. to point out. Um, depth matters and all the, everything matters, bullpens and starting starting pitching, all that fun stuff. But it helps to have some elite talent. The Braves haven't really had – I mean, Freddie's been awesome for a long time, but having two of those guys is uh, helpful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you talk about getting a full year of Acuna if he's even close to what he was in the second half of last year. Um, I mean, it's – yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, we've done 52 minutes. It's just hilarious on a podcast. We have nothing to discuss, um, yep. but hopefully that will uh, give people some traveling um, podcast audio for their uh, holiday, you know, transgressions, all that fun stuff. Everybody's flying around, driving around, doing family stuff. Hopefully this will uh, satisfy some of your Braves craving. I apologize that there isn't actually more news to talk about, but uh, hopefully that will uh, sort of wet your palate. Scott, please uh, plug yourself, plug anything you got going on. I know there's nothing going on in terms of the Braves, but if you have no. any ideas, please share them <laughs> and please tell the people where they can find your work um, in general and on your Twitter account, all that fun stuff. Yeah, as always, check the blog. I mean, it's uh, our Slack room has been pretty sad the last two or three weeks. There's just nothing to do. It's I feel so bad. Again, I feel so, I feel so bad for Chris Willis, who's like trying his best. Chris yeah. is great. He's he's one of the best like managers of people that I've ever worked with in this industry. But uh, when there's no when, when there's no content, there's no content, and there's just nothing going on right now. Yeah, I mean nothing. I mean <laughs> literally nothing. I mean even we talked about the lack of moves. I mean it's not like the Braves have you know they did the Donaldson McCann stuff and then they signed a left-handed bench bat, you know a Matt Adams or or a seventh inning special, you know a, a Peter Moylan from five years ago where he was a really good righty out of the bullpen. I mean even like minor league stuff they haven't done. Which is just kind of bizarre. I don't know. It's it's hard to fathom. But um, anyway, um, but no, as always, check the site and Twitter, Scott Coleman fifty five. We always do a lot of fun stuff over there. So check it out. And uh, for all your Sacramento Kings talk, please follow Scott <laughs> on the Twitter <laughs> machine. Kings, they're good this year. Everybody, uh, we're we're in that time of the season when everyone gets mad at me. Start season, a time of the year when everybody gets mad at me that doesn't care about the doesn't care about basketball. I get at least two or three tweets about why are you tweeting about the nba every week 
Um, my, my response is always, and they're always for Braves fans, by the way. It's always Braves fans that do this, which, you know, shouts to you guys. I know you're diehards and you probably don't care about the Hawks. All I will say is my number one sports gig is covering the Hawks. So my apologies, but that's not, that's my number one thing. It's not going to be going away. Um, and also what I would say is nothing's happening with the Braves. What do you want me to talk yeah. about? Just disappear on Twitter. I'm sorry. No. Um, but it's going to come, I promise. And Scott and he's, I will always talk about Arizona and Michigan and the Kings and the whatever, the Blues, the Colts, Falcons, whatever else. Colts. There we go. Colts this weekend. Big game for the Colts on Sunday. Go Colts. Sorry to the Titans fans, but. Yeah, we sorry, Titans fans. I know there are some of you that listen to the pod, but. Uh, There's a lot of. I, I think of, other than Falcons, uh, of people who like interact with frequently on Twitter, I think. It's for sure Falcons one, obviously. I think it's Panthers it's too. It's Panthers, the yeah. There's a lot of yeah. Panthers fans, um, Panthers fans, Titans. Um, for whatever couple- reason, there isn't a huge Braves Saints crossover, which actually surprises me. I-, I wonder if they just don't like baseball, or they are like Cardinals fans, maybe. But like, yeah, there isn't usually Texas, a Braves Saints yeah. crossover. There's there's a couple people that I'm thinking of right now that do that, but there really is kind of a small window. Yeah. It's mostly Panthers, Titans, Falcons, and. That's kind of it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you're right. There's a few um, that I can think of. But no, you're right. It's it's for sure those three. But regionally, I mean, I'm sure that that region is That's... pretty heavy. Oh yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's a football it's a football region. And honestly, uh, Scott, you should. I'm sure you get it because you follow a lot of us on Twitter. But uh, I grew up in SEC country as someone who roots for a Big Ten school. So uh, I was the uh, the shut in, <laughs> and people didn't like me very much growing up. But it's uh, definitely a college football area. Number one, number two, and number three college football in this uh, in this particular state where I live. So anyway, that's right, that's right. Who's Michigan got in the bowl game? Florida. I will be there on Saturday in oh. the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. The but, first time <laughs> in my lifetime that Michigan has played in Atlanta, yeah. and it's a game that I don't have any any interest in at all because Florida Michigan is a terrible matchup. They I was going to say themselves. like first to ten, right? First yeah, to 10. it's going to be awful. Uh, they played three times in the last like five years already. It's awful, but uh, I have to go because Michigan's never played in Atlanta in, in my lifetime, and here they are. So oh, I yeah. just have no choice. Yep. I will be there, and uh, we will see what happens. But there you go. All right, we've ra- we've rambled on too long. Um, Scott, thank you as always. As for everybody else, uh, we'll see you guys in 2019 unless something crazy happens, which I do not anticipate over the next few days. Um, regardless, I'll have a pod. I'm planning to have a podcast. That first week of January sometime. I'm not really sure when. Maybe the Sunday. We'll see how things go. And if nothing else, we will see you guys then. Please enjoy your, your new year. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. Thank you again for subscribing, telling your friends, for checking out TalkingTalk.com. It's been huge. We have really enjoyed this year. I, I'll speak for myself and that one. I'm sure Scott agrees. The 2018 has been fun for the Braves. And uh, hopefully 2019 is just, just as fun. So stay tuned. Walk it in with us. We'll see you guys next week.